Good morning. My name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. This morning's guest on With Respect is Patty Chang Anker. Patty is the author of a book called Some Nerve, and I and she's got nerve. I tell you that this book is just loaded with nerve. It's about lessons learned while becoming brave. We'll be talking to her about her book and about her life. Patty Chang Anker, with respect. So, Patty, how are you? I am great, John. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, great. I'm glad. I am, too. Now, I've read part of this book, in fact, a good bit of it. And the one I part, we're going to talk about um, being cold in Michigan. <laughs> Very cold. we here in Michigan really appreciate people who are cold, who can <laughs> stick it out. Well, anyway, Patty, where are you from originally? So, um, I was born in Columbia, Missouri. Um, um, University of Missouri School yes. of Journalism. Go um, ahead. My my father was actually in the forestry program there. Okay. Both my parents immigrated to the states from China mm-hmm. uh, via Taiwan. My dad's family is from Beijing, mm-hmm. and my mom's family is from Shanxi Province. And that is Shanxi is from is where located in, in um, China. It's uh, it, it, Taiyuan is the city where she's from, mm-hmm. and it's sort of north. A little in the middle. Okay. Um, and they uh, met at the University of Missouri, and that's where I was born. And then w- our family moved to a bunch of different places um, up until the time I was ten. And at that point, we settled in the Bronx in New York. All right, the, the Bronx. The Bronx. The, br- the Bronx. The Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where did you go to school? So um, I went to Hunter College High School, which is where I met my husband. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were uh, high school sweethearts and prom dates. And then I went to the University of Pennsylvania and got my bachelor's degree there. And um, And what? What was your master or major? Oh, my major was communications, and Mm -hmm. I minored in English lit. Mm -hmm. So then what happened? So I feel like I spent the first uh, part of my life really working at being a good student. That was really what was encouraged in my family. You know, child of Chinese immigrants, everything was all about um, being a good student, a good daughter. And then we got married, and it was about being a, a good wife and a good mother mm-hmm. um, once I, I became a, a, a mother. And uh, to work really hard in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, the the idea was really to be able to have a safe 
comfortable life where you could provide for your family. And so I really focused on uh, academic and career success. I was a, a book publicist. Um, I worked for book publishers, helping to promote the authors and their ideas. And uh, it, the, my career kind of culminated with a job at the New York Times. I was director of media relations there, um, so representing the journalists and whenever we had a big exclusive story, getting the, the mm -hmm. word out on that. Um, then uh, a few things happened. 9-11 uh, happened, mm. and that was a, a really, um, you know, before and after kind of day. Oh, sure. You know, it's it, like there was life before and then there yeah. was life after. Um, and uh, that was a day. I was at the New York Times at the time, and I feel like there was a divide. There, there were the journalists who ran toward the scene, mm -hmm. and in uh, the newsroom and in our offices, um, uh, there were people in hazmat suits coming to mm -hmm. inspect because of the anthrax scares that followed. And everyone talked about how brave people were who who ran toward the danger, mm -hmm. you know, rather mm -hmm. than away. And uh, I instinctively felt like I wanted to run away. Like I wanted to be safe. <laughs> I wanted to be safe with my baby at home, and I wanted my husband to be home, and um, uh, and all of that. And I ended up. Um, uh, we adopted our uh, fir first daughter from China, and uh, after maternity leave, I didn't go back to work. And then I feel like that began for me about a decade of living a much smaller life. Mm -hmm. um, I started uh, really nesting at home and feeling afraid of taking chances and uh, unsure of whether to go back to work in the same career, but afraid to like explore different careers. Mm -hmm. um, the fear of failure is really huge. And uh, I feel in many Chinese immigrant families, and for me, it was it was really important to not fail, and so that meant that it was really hard to take chances mm -hmm. um, and to try new things. And it got to a point where um, I feel like I was nervous all the time. I had a lot of anxiety about what people thought of me. Um, I became more anxious about meeting new people um, in, in different situations. We, mo we moved out to the suburbs, and I joked that I had a fear of my neighbors. Um, <laughs> they knew more about my appliances than I did. You know, it's like my <laughs> fridge went out, and then the neighbors were like, oh, did they get that fridge, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Two years ago, or was it three years ago? No, that was their dishwasher. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm from the Bronx. I need anonymity. <laughs> um, anyone who knows this much about my appliances is going to be out to steal them. <laughs> anyway, um, and around that time, I realized that uh, I wasn't enjoying my life very much at all. And I was so worried about everything that my kids were worried about everything. I was mm -hmm. always saying things to them like, be careful, you, you, you could hurt yourself, you know, um, something bad could happen, don't do that, why would you do that? And uh, I realized that I didn't want the rest of my life to be like that. Well, let's, let's stop for a minute, let's go back. Did you have any brothers, sisters? I, did, I do have one sister. Um, she's four years younger than me. What does she do? She's a teacher. She's okay. a reading specialist um, for in, in the Bronx. Uh, no, uh, in, in Manhattan, okay. in, in the city. Although uh, she does live in the Bronx, you can take a girl out of the Bronx. No, you, you can't ever take the Bronx out of the girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, so in 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 when you were growing up, was there um, in when you're an only child? All right, that adds a certain amount of 
push. But the older child in a multi-child family also gets some of that same, you got to do, because your parents are really working hard on that first child. They don't really exactly know how to do it. And the second child and the third and the fourth, they get a little more short. They're much more freedom, we, we say. I'm an, only, I'm an, oh, an older child. And uh, did you have that situation? I think that um, the, in our household, uh, there were a lot of eyes on me, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I felt that um, the responsibility, especially the eldest child in a Chinese family, it, there's a lot of responsibility to uphold the family's reputation and to set a good example. Um, my younger sister, I think she would agree with this. She was able to fly under the radar a little bit, mm-hmm. um, a, a little bit more. Um, but she's also naturally, you know, responsible and uh, wants and to do girl. the right thing. And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've heard that from several people recently as sort of a bad thing. What's it been wrong about it being a good girl? Well, I think that it, it it's a problem only if it gets in the way of um, your wanting to do what you truly want to do, mm-hmm. or to make the contributions that you you truly could make. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're afraid to step out of what people think of you, um, if it, it provides a disconnect between you and, and who you truly are, I think it could get in the way there. Um, I, I think for me, th- I, I felt this pressure to do what I was good at. And if there were things that didn't come naturally to me, um, that that was a waste of time, you know. And so uh, for me, I did very little athletically, like physically. Mm-hmm, it, w- mm-hmm. it was kind of like, oh, it was much more important to develop your brain than to develop oh, yeah. the rest of your body. Oh, yeah. And that I feel like um, has been a, a, a detriment. Like now in midlife, I'm making up for it because I'm trying to learn. You know, I just recently learned how to bike and uh, I'm trying very pitifully but please admire my attempt I'm trying to jog <laughs> and, um, and just realizing how oh, I went through that stage too uh, when I could jog oh, right. I can't do that anymore it's really sad when you can't jog like oh, you feel yeah. like you should be able to work your legs but yeah, um, yeah it, the, the the competence and the confidence that you can feel from um, being able to control your own body and feeling strong enough to carry yourself through the world um, I think is a fantastic thing to develop, and I think there are a lot of people who, early on, are told you're not so good at that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's another thing too, and that is, and, and several points in your book, you talk about your your own image or the image of other people uh, that you talk about in your book, um, their body image. Oh, I don't like my body. Oh, I don't want to. I caught you on one. You said I don't want to do anything where I have to sweat. I see myself <laughs> sweating. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's not a pretty sight, and I, I don't want anyone to see it, including me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, all right. So uh, there came a point in your life when you've gone through nine eleven. You've had this high life, or ex- uh, expansive life, uh, with the New York Times, doing a lot of different things, and all of a sudden nine eleven comes along, and it's all changed for you. you. You have a, an epiphany as to your relationship with your uh, husband and your child. And then, 10 years of isolation. Isolation. <laughs> Being by yourself. And am I doing anything big like I was at the New York Times? 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely wasn't. <laughs> I was definitely not doing anything big um, it, it, in those times. I, I was doing uh, important work in being a mother. Mm-hmm. That, that was true. But a mother who tells their kids all the time to stop it and to be careful and mm-hmm. to think before you do and what could happen if, you know, it was really loading these little, you know, uh, free spirits with all of this baggage that it's like they hadn't earned yet you know i i think i realize now that um we want to protect our kids from all the hard knocks but it's like through the hard knocks that you learn anything right and the old latin phrase perospera ad astra through hardships to the stars i love that um i'm gonna have to get that written out (laughs) (laughs) before i go (laughs) um yeah i i think the so the second epiphany comes when uh my older daughter was uh too scared to jump off the diving board at camp and the counselor said to me you know it would be helpful if you would talk to her about this and so yeah i'm really good at talking like i said you should do it why are you afraid to do it and and she said you know i'm afraid that people are going to laugh and it's not going to be easy and it's uh, you know it's not going to be comfortable there's this fear that um we have that's legitimate you know if you don't know how to swim and you jump into the deep end of the pool you have a fear of drowning which is completely reasonable Mm -hmm. but my daughter could swim so like she wasn't going to drown there was going to be a lifeguard right there like there were counselors right there it was a safe environment so we aren't actually talking about irrational fear there we're talking about discomfort it's just the discomfort of going through it and so as i'm trying to explain this to her i'm realizing that oh my gosh there are so many things in my life that i'm I say I'm afraid of and I say I won't do um, because I can't do it or I won't be good at it or I'll look stupid doing it or I won't enjoy it when all it is is discomfort. It's Mm -hmm. just that I don't want to be uncomfortable. And so I decided then that I was going to learn how to dive into a swimming pool because I didn't know how to do it either. And, uh, you know, it was only a matter of time before my daughter learned the word hypocrite. (laughs) She's a smart kid. That day was coming. (laughs) The day was (laughs) coming quickly. Um, And the process of learning how to dive into a a swimming pool, it was surprisingly um, scary until the moment I, I did it. And then it was, my gosh, gravity took over. It was not that complicated. I did not drown. It was not horrifying. It was actually kind of fun. And I felt really proud of myself afterward. There was a, a man swimming with his kid in the shallow end. And um, when I, came, I broke through the surface and then the dad said to the kid, look, it's a diver. And I actually looked over my shoulder behind me to see if someone else had executed a beautiful dive right behind me before I realized he was talking about me. And so that was a moment where I felt like my entire identity, um, my, uh, my whole life was that I was not athletic and that I'm not a sporty girl. I'm not the kind of person who does things like that. And much less at you know, I was almost 40 years old at that point, um, looking quite ridiculous, I'm certain, in my Speedo. Um, but there it was. I became a diver. I became something I never thought I would be. And that was a very magical moment for me. And I realized then I was onto something. What? 
This is the secret to life. What minute are we at? Are we still in the first segment of the show and I'm already going to share the secret of life? Well, all right. I'll tell you what. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a break and, and tease everybody okay, with good. the secret of life coming up after this break. This is John Smetanko. We're talking to Patty Chang Anchor, who is the author of Some Nerve. We're going to talk about that and how she got to write it in just a minute. This is uh, With Respect, and we'll be right back. We're now back on With Respect with Patty Chang Anchor, the author of Some Nerve, which was published last year and will be coming out in paperback soon. This fall. This fall. All right. Now, what is the secret of life? <laughs> well, one of several secrets of life, um, a, a, a very key one for me, is that the unknown that is the secret of life. I feel like uh, the fear of the unknown has followed me around for a lot of my life. Like if I don't know how it's gonna turn out, then I'm extremely uncomfortable with going there. Because you can't plan it. Yeah, I can't control it. Can't control it. I can't guarantee success. I can't guarantee an outcome that will feel good to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and your parents living inside your head rent free yes. mm -hmm. will will hold it up to you, right? Yes, I call it the Greek chorus that I carry around in my head. You know, it's this, uh, uh, it's a conglomeration of parents, PE teachers, cousins who are always better than me, um, little critics that uh, go around wailing. They're like, this will not end well. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say we didn't warn no. you. <laughs> and they do it, sometimes it's in sync and other times it's very disharmonious, oh, right? Oh, yeah. No, sometimes each of them is pulling on the other to speak more loudly, to say, you're not qualified, you're not good enough, who mm -hmm. do you think you are? Stop it! You know, yeah. And you think that they're there to protect you. You think that they have your best interests at heart. And actually, they don't. Because what they want is to keep you in the known. They want to keep you in the space that's safe and known, which is not the space of growth. And it's not the space of excitement or joy or life. You know, I think that um, for a long time, I just felt like a safe and comfortable life is what I wanted. And realizing having been through lots of fear facing for myself and watching other people face their fears um, and expanding their life is that life is in that unknown space. It's in the space where you actually don't know how it's going to turn out and you take that leap in order to see. You know, it's interesting because in, uh, I'm a trial lawyer um, and uh, among other kinds of odds and ends things I do, but one of the things that um, I think it's a perhaps a hidden secret that we don't like to tell any other people. I'm going to tell everybody right now. You gave some secrets. I'm going to give most the best trial lawyers when they are getting ready for a trial are scared to death. They are scared to death. Why? Because their experience has told them that when you get into court, no matter how well you prepare, no matter how good your case is, something is going to happen. 
that is unusual. And you can't control it. You cannot control everything that happens in a courtroom, no matter how well you prepare, no matter how smart you are, no matter anything. And that fear of the unknown attacks everybody. And I will add to that that if you don't go through it, you're a fool. And I tell my clients, I'll be honest with them, I say, look, every, you're nervous going into court. This is my briar patch. Court is my briar patch. I, I love it. I love trial work. But I want to tell you right now, I get nervous before I go into a trial. But once you, I, I, there was a fellow who um, wrote a book, uh, Herbert Stein, um, wrote a book uh, about trial work many years ago. And in his preface to the book, he said, and he, this fellow is really well known in Washington, one of the top-notch trial lawyers in Washington. He said, you know, the morning uh, I go to trial, I am so scared, I want to pray that there's a snowstorm, that the courthouse is closed, that the, there'll be an earthquake which swallow up the courthouse and I will have a reason not to go into court. I will ag agree to any adjournment I can possibly have for any reason whatsoever. Did you sniffle? Okay, we'll have an adjournment. Um, is it is sky blue? We'll give you an adjournment for that. <laughs> but he said, once you stand up, and this is true, once you stand up and the judge says, are you ready to proceed, Mr. Smetanka? And you stand up and say, yes, Your Honor, it all goes away because you've taken that leap. You've gone off the diving board and you're taking the chance that you're gonna make a fool of yourself. I, I love <coughs> hearing that because I think people see seasoned professionals and they think, oh, they must be naturally good at that. Mm -hmm. They must be naturally gifted at that. And uh, I think that it can very often be just a well-honed skill of feeling those feelings and being able to withstand mm -hmm. the onslaught of the fight or flight response, which is like very primal and it comes upon you. And you just need to know that that's not going to kill you. Like the feeling itself that you have heart palpitations and your mouth is dry and that you think that's your right. brain is shutting down. Like it feels like you're going to die, but you're actually not going to die. And if you're able to withstand that, the second flush is the rational brain coming in and saying, okay, I know what to do now. Yeah. And if you don't wait for that rational brain to come in and you just stop yourself as soon as you feel the panic, then the panic starts to generalize. It's very easy mm -hmm. to then feel it in different areas of your life whenever you feel out of your element to all of a sudden feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to handle this. I'm mm -hmm. going to shut down. And then that becomes a much more difficult thing to, um, to contend with. And with public speaking and with performance, I feel like there are many um, musicians and actors who feel physically ill before they go mm -hmm on stage and yet are able to tell themselves and you really just have to tell yourself that this moment is going to pass it's mm -hmm. like this initial ill feeling once I work through it I'm going to be great because I have something to say and mm -hmm. I have important work to do and if you can connect with that intention of what you're there to do um, I, someone told me recently that she's working with it's either a therapist or a coach she's working with someone who said to her if you can say I want to do X and I'm afraid, rather than saying I want to do X, but I'm afraid, mm. it will make it will turn everything around for you. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that in my own head since I heard it, and it's a great tool. Like if you say um, I want to make this case for my client because my client has 
his life depends on it. It's mm-hmm. hugely important. I want to do it, but I'm afraid. All of a sudden, it puts you in this as if you have a choice position, mm-hmm. right? I'm afraid, and so I'm not going to do it. But if you just say, and I'm afraid, and you can sort of say, okay, fear is this companion. It comes with me places, mm-hmm. but I can still do it. There was a fellow, there was a fellow who was a, uh, considered the best trial lawyer in West Michigan. Uh, uh, tried cases all over the country, but he was extremely well respected here in West Michigan. And he happened to be handling a case for me um, when I was, <clears throat> our office was disqualified on a, on a case for some uh, close to, were too close to the uh, the defendant. And so I invited him to, in to be the uh, substitute counsel. Patty, this is this great trial lawyer nationally in Michigan. When we were getting ready for the prelim, it was just a simple prelim. Uh, I said, you want some coffee? And he said, yeah. So we went back to the coffee machine. I could not pour the coffee into his cup because he was shaking so much. Oh, wow. His hand was shaking, so you literally, I, I had to grab the cup, hold it. and But he went into court, and he was great. Wow. He turned on. And this happens, this is a very astute set of observations that you've made about facing the fact and accepting the fact that you're nervous and say, guess what, I'm nervous. You know, same thing as I happened the last time I went into this situation. What I tell people, tell my witnesses or my clients or whoever, when you go into court, when you go, when they call you to testify, I'll say this, before you do, Take three deep breaths, getting the oxygen into your system because when you are, you know, your body reacts to nerves, it breathes shallower and shallower until you, the brain says, I need oxygen and everything goes crazy. You get that, that bit of air into your system and it relaxes you long enough for you to put a get on the stand or to go in and say, I'm ready, Your Honor. And guess what? All of a sudden you realize it's no big deal. Yeah, the breathing is the most important thing because um, the people will often take that uh, signal that the brain feels like it's going to shut down to mean I'm not good at this and I'm not capable of handling this. You know, it's like that nightmare that you, you'll be at a test and you thought you studied everything, but then this mm-hmm. question is one that you don't know the answer to and then, oh my gosh, my mind is blank. And th- your mind is not blank. Your mind actually has tons of resources to help you if you take a deep breath and you give it oxygen. It's Mm -hmm. actually the brain, the feeling that the brain is about to shut down is not that you're bad at it or that you're not capable of it. It's the brain saying, I need oxygen now. And the good thing is there's plenty of oxygen available. (laughs) So if you just take a breath, the brain will then be able to function and call upon its vast memory stores and like help you through through your situation. Unless you're like about to go into space or go like, you know, I don't know. There are some situations where I feel like uh, access to oxygen is severely compromised. And in, in which case I say, don't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, you you started, you, you came to this realization that your life was sort of narrow. It was a narrow focus. We know, and I'm, I'm no joking about this, being a parent is a thoroughly and completely worthwhile uh, way to spend your life. 
And I don't, anybody who says to the contrary is, is not so cuckoo as far as I'm concerned because it is such, you have such an effect on a, on a human being that she's going to carry on to the next generation the values that you give and, and nurture in that child. So I think it's extremely important and worthwhile. But to be a good parent, sometimes people need to expand their their vision, their 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 the scope of their wings, and uh, go off on a little bit on their own and, and get over things like fear. And so absolutely, it came I mean, to a point with you. Yeah, people have asked, you know, was it a midlife crisis? And I said it was a crisis. <laughs> That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like, and whenever you have it, I think people have it at different points in their life. But I was starting to feel that I wasn't looking forward to the rest of my life. You know, whether that's mm-hmm. 30 or 40 years, like I was thinking, oh my gosh, everything's just gonna get worse because like we're gonna get older and we're gonna get sicker and people I love are gonna die. And like, it, uh, just like really, really bleak thoughts, you know, for someone who was 39 to be having. <laughs> and then I was thinking, well, what are my kids gonna be? Like, they're, are they gonna not be looking forward to and feel afraid of the next 60 and 70 years of their lives? Like that didn't seem fair to put on them. There has to be something more here. And I think I realized that there were many people who um, seemed to be expanding their lives. Like no matter how old they were, um, they could be uh, 20 and thinking, I'm going to start a different kind of career. They could be thinking that at 40 or 60, you know, that I'm going to be developing myself in this different way. And I was like, what's different about them? And so part of uh, starting my blog, my blog is called Facing 40 Upside Down, but I say we, you know, use the term 40 extremely loosely. It's very (laughs) elastic. Um, uh, Part of that was for me to find role models and like people who I could tap into and see, you know, how did they have the nerve to make a change or to try something different? Um, and what can I learn from that? And it, that, that was really fun and juicy work to do because then you meet people who uh, have traveled a ways, you know, they've gone from a, a point of not knowing how to do something to becoming really good at it. Mm-hmm. And then not only do you think, oh, maybe I could do that in a certain area of my life, but then you can challenge them back and mm-hmm. say, oh, have you considered, oh, you maybe uh, feel really good um, at being an entrepreneur and starting this new business, but have you thought about you know how fear might be holding you back in your relationships, like mm-hmm, in one mm-hmm. one-to-one relationships, and then you realize that we all have so much in common. So even the people who I would look at and say, "Wow, they're so brave," they were totally willing to step out of their comfort zone in this way, um, realizing that they actually they have their fears too. You know, sometimes it's a matter of finding where they are, and that we all have a lot to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. We do. And and talking about it, the ability to talk it out uh, is a way of actualizing the fear and looking at it, putting it out in front. And and even if even if you talk to the wall or talk to your dog, you know. But the idea of expressing it allows you to say, "Ooh, look at that! It does. I can deal with that." Yeah. Uh, what, one of the things I do, I lead workshops and um, retreats, and I will have people put on their name tag, their name and a fear. And it just has to be a fear that they're willing to talk about with people who do, they don't know very well. But very quickly, you see across a room all these people who didn't know each other realizing, oh, my gosh, I also have a fear of disappointing people 
or oh wow, I you know I didn't even think of that, but I also have a fear of heights or uh, public speaking, that kind of thing, and it humanizes us. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the time we go around uh, ashamed of the fears that we have and not wanting to talk about them and steering conversation toward things that we know and steering and trying to find people who also like the things we like and Mm -hmm. uh, trying to find ways to to feel really knowledgeable in a conversation right to say okay i'm good at this so i'm going to talk about this television show or this you know and i'm going to tell you right now that i know that it's time for a break okay and we're going to take one right now we'll come right back we're uh, talking on with respect to patty chang anchor this is john smetanka and we're going to be talking about how do you overcome fear but how do you expand your life and your wingspan We'll be right back in a moment. We're now back on With Respect with Patty Chang Anchor, who is the author of a book called Some Nerve, and it it chronicles a lot of what we're talking about, and that is expanding her horizons, uh, her abilities, and reducing or getting a hold of and grabbing uh, those fears and tossing them out of the wastebasket, right? So this is John Smetank, and we're on With Respect. So, Patty, we, we, we got you to the point where you've been you're ready to expand. You're ready to explode you know, all the, the, the capabilities that you have uh, that you didn't know were there because you're afraid, what happened? Well, it becomes quite addictive once you realize that, wow, I never thought I could be a diver, but I'm a diver. Um, What else could I do? And also for all the people I love, you know, the friends, the family members, the, the, the people who I see are holding themselves back because they have these stories about themselves. Um... I was thinking, well, how could they expand their lives? And so then I started uh, helping other people. So like I took a group of people who were afraid of heights up to a ropes course. And we all watched each other climb up these trees and then go out onto these ropes courses. And it was an extremely bonding experience. You know, they, they say that um, studies have shown that when uh, a man and a woman who don't know each other very well are put in a very precarious situation. Like if you put them on a ropes course, they're more likely to bond and want to go out on a date afterward mm-hmm. <laughs> than if you did something safe and cozy. So that word to the wise there, you know, if you go out on a first date, make it a scary one. <laughs> I, funny you should mention that. I took one first date out. I took her, to, she was a doctor, and I took her out to see Jurassic Park. <gasps> No, that unfortunately, my my friend who set us up said, "Bad choice, John. Bad choice. <laughs> Not a good first date movie." You know, there's a fine line between <laughs> scaring and traumatizing. So, <laughs> um, so that has been a very exciting. Uh, part of this journey for me because it's not just about me it's about uh, everyone I care about and then it's contagious so then they want to go help their friends and do something fun Mm -hmm. with their friends um and uh 
it also, it, it, for me, it led to conversations with strangers, which is something that I was always really uh, nervous about. I always felt that people would think I was boring, that um, I would sound stupid, it, uh, all sorts of things like that. But once you start saying, I write about people facing their fears, it opens up the conversation in mm -hmm. this really great way. And so I was starting to have conversations with people who I thought I had nothing in common with. And uh, for example, one of them was this writer who also happens to be a surfer and I have a fear of moving water um, part of the fear of diving into the deep end of the swimming pool for me is I don't like the feeling of being out of control in the water um, because the panic response kicks in really quickly I almost drowned on a river when I was a teenager and ever that since then, yeah. yeah, ever since then, it's a very physical, immediate, reflexive feeling that if I'm uh, off my feet and the water's moving and I don't know which way is up, I start to panic. Mm -hmm. um, so in the course of trying to face my fears, I am a very good girl, right? I'm a good student. <laughs> and so I was like, this is a serious one. I really have to work hard on it. And I went to Jones Beach in New York um, to try to boogie board and uh, a wave broke my foot. <laughs> <laughs> Neptune, the god, yeah. was saying, Patty Chang, <laughs> yes. anchor. The Greek chorus had a field day with that. <laughs> we told you so. <laughs> um, so, but I met this surfer who said, well, if you're trying to face your fear of moving water, then you should learn to surf. And I was like, have you seen the cast on my foot? Like I was, I had a brace on my foot at the time. I was on crutches. I'm like, do you not see the same thing that I see coming out of this picture? Um, but I thought to myself, well, you know, he seems so different from me because surfers are just fundamentally different from Chinese Americans. <laughs> I mean, they're the kind of Chinese Americans I knew growing up. Um, they, they roll with things. They don't like to make, you know, uh, uh, they don't need to know what's going to happen. Like a surfer will go on a surf safari just searching for waves and like not know if the waves are coming or not. And they'll spend days looking for waves. And then like they're in the water and they'll just wait for waves. And <laughs> My Chinese mother would be like, uh, what is the point of that? You know, like you're not going to get paid. You're not going to get a job doing that. You're not taking care of your kids. It's a complete waste of time. And you could get eaten by a shark. So, <laughs> and, 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 and that lady is sitting between your ears, exactly. right? Rent free. Okay, go Full ahead. Full volume. <laughs> and then there's this surfer dude. And uh, I, I thought, you know, I should follow him and see what it is that drives him because if there's something in me a voice in me that tells me the bad outcome that might happen at every point he doesn't have that so what is it about his brain like is there something about people who's um they turn fear to excitement you know it's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. they feel it as excitement i was like how could i be more like that could i be more like that or are we just fundamentally different so i decided to try to to uh interview him and learn more about him. And we found ourselves at a writer's conference in Chicago, and he said that he was going to surf Lake Michigan. I like that. That's good. It's a start. In the winter. That's uh, <laughs> Now the, the Greek chorus is beginning <laughs> yes. to tune up here. Hypothermia, frostbite. Is that is that <laughs> like, a soprano voice or a bass voice? Okay. four-part harmony. Okay. Four-part harmony on that. Um, and he said, you know, you should do it with me. I was like, okay, now I know you're crazy. Like, part of me is always like, you know, it, are people who are really brave, like, 
courageous as in that's a good thing or are they just crazy? And this to me just seemed crazy. Um, and he said, no, if, if you're, think about it, if you're trying to face your fear of moving water, he's like, how awesome is that, you know, to do it on Lake Michigan in the winter? No one else is gonna be able to say they've ever done that. And uh, I, I, there was too much to be afraid of there. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm such a klutz, number one. Right before this, I had gotten whiplash in my own bathroom because my daughter was playing and I was trying to turn on the faucet and she was pretending to be a horse and she reared up and bashed her nose into my face. And I got whiplash standing in my own bathroom, you know, and I broke my foot like standing in ankle deep water at Jones Beach. And so this guy is saying that you're going to stand up on a surfboard that's moving. On, on waves. <laughs> on waves created by wind. By wind, yeah. Okay. <laughs> on the Great Lake. On the Great Lakes. With ice. With the, yeah. There might be ice shelves. He's like, if there are ice shelves. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, any sentence that begins with if there are ice shelves. Um, anyway, I was like, you know, I'm going to wa- follow you. I was like, I'll interview you. I'll follow you. You'll be an interesting character um, in, in my book. And I wore two sweaters and a down coat and like tall boots and and gloves because it it was 42 degrees in the air that day. And um, we got to Silver Beach at St. Joe. And uh, he looked and he was like, I think there are enough, there's enough wind for waves. Um, There were no ice shelves. There were no lifeguards. There was nobody else out (laughs) having the same brilliant idea. (laughs) Um, We went to Third Coast Surf Shop in St. Joe, which was open in the winter, which I thought was crazy. Like, what are they doing open in the winter? They could kill people. And I did think, you know, Michiganders must be much less litigious than New Yorkers, (laughs) because in New York, this shop would not be open. But we went in and we rented a surfboard, and they did not have um, wetsuits thick enough for the, the temperature of the water. And so they said, you need to go to the scuba shop to get thick wetsuits. Mm-hmm. So we went to Wolf's Marine in Benton Harbor. And uh, at Third Coast Surf Shop, there was a sales lady who said to me, you should totally do it. She's like, you should go in. What an adventure. What Come a on, great story. That. And I was like, would you do this? And she said, no. <laughs> she said, it's so cold. She said, but she's like, I can surf here anytime. She's like, you're from New York. You're here. Why don't you do it? It would be a great story. She said, you should face your fears. And uh, Patrick said to me, my surfer friend, he was like, you know, the lake is here. The equipment is here. You're here. All you have to do is go in. And then you can say for the rest of your life, I surfed Lake Michigan in the winter. Bingo. And and that's something you want to tag oh, on your wall. Oh my gosh, what a story. And like the story that I had told for so much of my life was I don't do things like that. I'm not adventurous. That's too scary for me. I'm not athletic. I won't be good at it. People will laugh at me. I'm just going to stay back. And I hated that story. I started to think like, I don't want to tell that story for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I would much rather say that I surfed on Lake Michigan in the winter or died trying. (laughs) Um, So um, he got me out there into the water off Silver Beach and it was 36 degrees. Which Lovely. That's that was a spring day. Oh my gosh. I know this was pre-polar vortex. I think all the standards <laughs> now are <laughs> it's much colder. So, you 
Uh, now, the, you write about this in your book. Yes. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating from a local standpoint because you l- use uh, real names. And uh, so it's it's so the, the Erica and the, the surf shop and all this and Wolf's Marina, we all appreciate that. Silver Beach, you're out there. Now, what happened? Okay, number one, I would just like to say that I was sold a bill of goods on the idea that a thick wetsuit was going to protect me from the cold. <laughs> Not true. Not true. Oh, my gosh. I didn't understand this because I'd never been in a wetsuit before. But I thought it was going to seal the water out. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> It lets the water in. And then my... Oh, my gosh. My Chinese-American blood is then supposed to warm up the water in the suit. <laughs> I, had, I was nowhere near... Uh, ready for this it was so cold i've never been so cold in my life um but i think the the part of me that used to have very little imagination would say oh if i were to ever do that i would die like my brain would shut down and i would die like i couldn't even the mind couldn't go there it was so unknown right (laughs) and so here i am in lake michigan and i feel so cold that i think i'm going to die but I didn't, right? Because you're here today. Because I'm here today. And I kept moving. I I went into that part of my brain that said, you can paddle your arms. Like, listen to what Patrick is saying. He was like, paddle your arms, turn your head away from the spray. And then when he turned me around, I practiced popping up onto the surfboard. And the idea that I could do, I could act, I could move my body even when I was cold and under duress and in this wetsuit where like you feel very constricted in a wetsuit. So whatever movement you're making with your arm, the suit wants to pull you back in. And what a metaphor for life, right? Mm -hmm. That it's like things get thrown your way that you feel completely out of your element and you don't think that you can handle. And then even when you try to handle it, something comes to try to pull you back. Mm -hmm. And how often do we want to like lie down and give up? Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I didn't give up. I just kept trying over and over again to push myself up. And I kept falling down. And then I kept getting back up onto the board. It was one of the most um, exhilarating um, and strength-producing things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And part of it was that it was really hard and I didn't give up. And that's a great story to have for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and to tell my kids and all of that. And then the other part was that I really loved it. And I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting to love it. I was expecting to suffer because life is suffering and like you have to do that yeah there's a chapter in your book we must suffer right (laughs) well the surfing chapter in my book is titled um stoke and pleasure and the idea of the fear of pleasure there's part of us that you know those of us who really feel that work is what we're put on this earth to do that is kind of a little suspicious of pleasure that's like oh why would you waste time and energy seeking your own pleasure like there would be something Mm -hmm. wrong with that and for me finding pleasure out on Lake Michigan in the winter doing this crazy thing that I never thought that I would do that um, wasn't going to I don't know it 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 was never expected of me Mm -hmm. it was it wasn't a responsibility that was put on me I just went and did it it was a great adventure we're going to take a break right now, and we're talking to Patty Chang Anchor, uh, who, by the way, is uh, survived. She's chattering. She's still freezing. <laughs> I will never be warm again. Never be warm again. This is good. <laughs> this is our contribution to your, to the future of your world. Thank you, uh, Michigan. That, oh, and we and Michigan thanks you for coming. This is John Smetanka. We'll be right back.
We're now back on With Respect with Patty Chang Anchor, who is the author of a book which I've read, uh, good bits of it. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to read everything, but I do like uh, what I read is excellent. And I want to talk about that in a minute. The name of the book is Some Nerve. Uh, It has just come out uh, last year, and it's now going to be uh, in paperback this year. So you can find it in bookstores everywhere. Now, one of the things I, th- I think was, uh, is interesting about how you approach your book is we've, we've talked some, some uh, bits and pieces about different challenges that you took. And each of those challenges gives you a different sort of chapter. Uh, and you, can, you talk about those things which affect all of us in some way or other. Uh, I'm just going to go through the titles of the chapters and give you some idea. Um, we have, for example, boogie boarding. We know that you broke your ankle doing boogie boarding. Wah, that was good. <laughs> uh, another chapter on clutter. It's an interesting one because we do clutter up our lives with so many things to avoid having to make choices. It's interesting. Water, fear of water. Uh, a lot of people have fear of water. And um, it's, it, takes, it takes away a lot of fun because once you get into the water and you become comfortable, it's going back to the womb. It's, there's all kinds of wonderful things that happen. Great exercise. Best exercise in the world is cold water swimming. Just, I just want to tell you that. Public speaking. I have heard that it is more stressful than any other public activity. I've never felt that because I was forced when I was a teenager to stand up in front of a group of classmates and give speeches. And uh, it, it was terrifying to start with. And I even did a solo once in a musical, terrified. Never would do it again, but I did it. Um, biking, you exercise, uh, someone who is raised not wanting exercise, uh, not thinking exercise is important, you got to do biking. Driving, the fear of, oh my God, there's idiots on this road, and if I'm not really careful, they're going to get me. Yeah, and the driving one is really um, so legitimate because it really honestly is um, dangerous. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the the rates of accidents is legitimate. You actually see accidents every time you go out. You see accidents mm-hmm. on the road. So um, not to diminish the, the reality of that. And then plus, um, if you are the survivor of a car crash, mm-hmm. um, very often uh, that will re- reverberate throughout your life. Um, mm-hmm. And in that, that chapter is really meaningful to me because for it, I met a woman who uh, was in a terrible crash where she was the driver, and her fiance and her daughter were in the car, and every all three of them were really badly hurt. It took them a very long time to recover from it, and what she took away from that was, I'm a bad driver, I can't be trusted, and so therefore I'm not going to drive anymore. And so for 15 years she didn't drive, and no one ever challenged her on that because it was so legitimate. You know, it's a mm-hmm. legitimate fear, and hers was grounded in her own reality. Um, I thought to myself, you know, what if I could find someone who could help her? And I didn't even know that I could. Um, but I started looking for instructors who specialize in um, car crash survivors and people with panic and phobia around driving. And I found this person who was also in a terrible car accident where she was the driver. 
but she came away from that experience with the idea there must be safer ways to drive. Mm -hmm. And she ended up becoming a driving instructor. And she got certified in counseling so that she could help people become better drivers so that they could uh, work through their own fears and be better on the road. And so to have two people with the same initial sensitizing event, like the same trigger, but to walk away with two completely different stories and like ideas about themselves was so powerful to me. So that in that chapter, I bring them together and you get to, to see what happens. I'm going to give you um, a, a two experiences that I had that uh, dealt with fear and how I reacted to it, and I, I see this in other people, and, and, uh, and I give this as a, a caveat to the world. Um, when I was a teenager, I was, in, uh, I was 19, 20 years old, I, was, I could do anything, I was invincible, and I was going to learn how to dive in a pool. And I got up on the diving board, and I just, it was great. I love to swim. This is no different off the board, through the air, all that thing, you know, gravity takes you down, the water. And then I just got inventive and I started doing backflips. And I was so good that on one of my backflips, I flipped all the way around and cracked my, the top of my head on the edge of the diving board. Oh, no. And came back. Well, the other part of it was, um, I didn't know this at the time, but I had had, I was getting the flu. And so, cracked the head, I ended up in the hospital with flu-like symptoms and everything. Well, I came back a few days later and I couldn't go in and dive. I couldn't dive, I've never dived, never done a backflip since then. Now, that is that was an irrational w response. What I should have done is gone in and started diving as soon as I had a chance to. Some years later, I was driving a car, a group of uh, students and I was driving along on the highway, minding my own business. Luckily, there was no traffic. I was going 70 miles an hour. The tire blew. And in those days, when you had a blown tire, things started bad happening. And so we did three 360s oh my goodness. On, a high, on a super highway in Missouri and ended up in the ditch, in the, uh, in the median. And the uh, the professor who was with us said, John, if you don't mind, I mean, I'll I'll be happy to drive. And I said, No, I want to drive. And so I drove the rest of the three-hour trip, and I was happy I did because otherwise, if I had allowed that fear, and it was a scary thing to watch the world go round and round to know if there's a car coming, you're dead. So, I think that that the idea that and I'm, I'm, I'm confessing to my fears. Uh, I, I hate to be like this, be confessing, but, but the, the point that you raise is there are two ways of resolving things, of allowing an, a, a horrible event to affect you. The best one is to go back out on the horse and, and ride again. Absolutely, and I think that um, the the driving instructor, uh, her name is Lynn Fuchs, and uh, her uh, w what she said is that you have to remember that um, you're a human being who's capable of learning and you're capable of growing. And the minute that you say I'm bad at something and therefore I should not do it, mm -hmm. th then your life is 
always going to shrink because mm-hmm. there are very few things that people are just naturally good at all the time where nothing bad ever happens when yeah. they do it, right? Yeah. And so because driving is legitimately dangerous, it means you have to legitimately take classes and get really good instruction and practice. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that when people are not comfortable, they don't practice. So it's like the opposite of what you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's like you'll hand the, the keys over to anyone else who's, you know, more willing to do it, whether or not they're a better driver than That's you, right. That's right. right? And very often people who are afraid of getting into accidents will end up in taxi cabs all the time mm-hmm. with drivers or with relatives who are terrible drivers who are not at all looking out for everyone's best interest. Mm-hmm. So um, part of protecting yourself sometimes is just to learn to drive properly and to um, be brave and and uh, get out there and connect with your reason for where uh, wanting to go where you need to go. You know, the last two chapters that I haven't mentioned um, are deal with two other fascinating ones. One is Death, which is a book unto itself. Oh, and, and many books and many, many religions books. and many, yes. And the last one is Heights, Falling. Mm-hmm. And that's so many of us have fear of falling and uh, acrophobia. The last is your conclusion. And I'm going to ask you about now what's your conclusion because your last is called Becoming Brave. Yes. What's well, the lesson? Okay, so you're going to have to read the book. Okay, <laughs> all right, fine. I'll buy the dang book. Um, <laughs> but, I'll, I'll but, tell you, there are so many lessons um, to, to come out of uh, all of these various experiences. And I, I think um, the connections between physical fears and emotional ones, you know, I hadn't really connected the two before. But uh, very often, like, if you're afraid of diving and you're also afraid of um uh, public speaking, either like in public or making a bold statement to someone one mm-hmm. one to one, um, they don't seem related. But underneath it may just be a fear of embarrassment, mm-hmm. right? And once you can identify those like underlying fears, like the fear of failure is a huge one. Um, the uh, the fear of discomfort, you know, the fear of pain that underlies lots and lots of fears. And once you can understand what uh, underlies your various triggers and up your tolerance of that, that it's like, okay, I don't like feeling rejected, but I can tolerate it for a greater good. It's like if you can connect with that greater good, then all of a sudden so much more in your life opens. There are just many more possibilities of things that you're willing to take on because you're strong enough. And that's what Becoming Brave is about, I think. It's like to recognize that you are strong enough to withstand um, some negative outcomes. It's like if you put yourself out there, there may be failures and there may be rejection and there may be embarrassment, but probably not all three at the same time to the level that your Greek chorus says there's going to be. <laughs> and, and the other thing is that that in this show I've learned, and we've talked about this um, uh, in, in other shows, uh, of the 300 or so people that have had on this show, um, I think four of the 300 have started at age six knowing what they're going to do and going straight through. The rest of us, myself included, go zigzags on through life. and. Some of the zigzags are caused by things like illness or failure or, or um, shame or a bad relationship or death of a parent or a spouse or whatever it is. And it may change your life. But if you take it as an opportunity, you can go forward to something brand new and find joy, freedom, 
pain, a pleasure uh, in a whole new area of human life. And, 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 you've, and all that bad stuff that happened to you that the, the causes the zigs and zags that made you a better person, made you better able to be the, the successful writer that you are the successful mother that you are, the successful lawyer that I wish I could be, you know. So uh, I, I would like to end on this show. Unfortunately, we have to uh, come to an end. Uh, telling people this is a fascinating book. It's full, filled with humor and, uh, and some real experiences, real people, and uh, you tell them with great uh, panache and humor. And uh, uh, I, this is good book for everybody, not just Chinese-American women who are really good. <laughs> <laughs> the name of our program is With Respect, and remember we're on every Sunday morning at 11 and every Thursday morning at 10, and remember our mantra, if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you. <laughs>